Friends, welcome back. My name is Tiffany Pratt, and this is my love jam. By my side, my bestie Coco on the mic, doing the mix. Say hi, Coco. Yo, what's up? We're just over here in Toronto, Canada, meeting people, discussing our journey, and uncovering all the facts and the figures and the feelings about love. Love comes in many sizes, shapes, and forms. And I'm here talking to some of the coolest people I know all about their journey and the things that they do to bring love into their life. This is a podcast all about that. As a creative person, I love being inspired by stories. And I want this to be a place for anyone who does anything to feel like they've found a home. I never want you to feel like what you're going through is something you're going through alone. We are totally in this together. So let's have some laughs, let's jam, and let's share a moment together and understand the power of love. Because it's out there and I've got lots of it to share. So I love you and I'm so excited that you're here. Coco, we have somebody to thank. We sure do. Who who are we thanking? Delta Fawcett Canada. Delta Fawcett Canada. Oh my goodness. We would not be here if it wasn't for you. Your inspiration to do this in the first place has us recording season one, season two, and now season three. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much. And I guess it's time to get on with our next guest. But before we do, if you want to check them out on the web, it's deltafaucet.ca. So thank you again from the bottom of our hearts. See, we're already laughing. (laughs) I just want to say you're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to write a lot of things down in this one. So friends with my greatest, humblest gratitude filled with love, one of my nearest and dearest friends and somebody I have been begging to come on the Love Jam for a long time, but she's finally here. (laughs) Janine Morrison, thank you so much for coming. I love you. Thank you so much for taking the time. I am honored to be here. Thank you. Like I actually could well up when I think about it because I know how freaking busy you are. (laughs) I know how much you have on your plate and I am so excited to share you with anyone listening because I've been waiting for this story. (laughs) You know, it's, this is the podcast to listen to. If you're building a business, if you have your own business, if you're 10 years in, if you're 20 years in, I think you have such a beautiful story. I think you have incredible things to share. And more than anything, you're an incredible person and you're funny as hell. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I, I think that building a business, being an entrepreneur, so many of us want to do that, especially in today's climate. There's so many reasons to strike out on your own and want to do your own thing. But I think there's a certain way to do it. And as we've always discussed, you have to follow the inner marching of the drum that mm-hmm. goes on within you. And that drum will change its beat from time to time. Yeah. And so I want you to share all about that. Right? How do you feel? <laughs> well, it's always a challenge for me to um just getting right into it, just to know where to start. Of course. Because I just mostly can't see the forest for the trees. And so my son said to me, Darren, he said, 
you should talk about, he's like, are you going to talk about the business? And I said, well, I'm sure that will come up, but he's like, but you should like talk about your life probably. Hey, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to probably do Badira's that. amazing. <laughs> and he is, he is like a little old man trapped <laughs> in a teenager's, well, how, is he 19 or 20? He's 20 now. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. They grow up so fast. Yeah. He came out as an old man and so did his brother came out as an old man. Yeah. They have, they have things to teach us. Shout out to my old men, boys. What's up, boyakas? <laughs> I I think that they're right though. Yeah. Because any person who has something to share and has a business to build mm-hmm. has an inner story. And people, when they're interacting with your business, they're interacting with your story inadvertently. They're interacting with your style. They're mm-hmm. interacting with you as the person inadvertently, really. Right. They don't know necessarily. They don't know the full journey yeah. of an entrepreneur and why they're there, or why they choose what they choose or why they do what they do, but they just know they want to be a part of that environment or that spirit. So um, I love, as I've gotten to know you, literally as soon as I met you, I was like, I love this woman, <laughs> but I love, I felt the same. It was instant. Yeah. It was instant. Yeah. I saw those eyes. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like we've had other lives together, mm-hmm. but you are an artist. You are a creator. You're a designer. You are a business head. You know, you really cross your T's and dot your I's. And um, so let's take it from the top. Okay. Design school, art school, little Janine, where do you want to start? So I was born in Western Canada in Alberta and we moved a lot because of my dad's work. So we went when I was very young, like three years old, up into the Arctic. So I lived up there for until partway through grade one. And that was a very different experience. You know, there's no trees with leaves up there. We're on the Canadian shield. It's total isolation. Everything's very raw. It is the mid seventies. Wow. So there's that in itself, you know. Just Even that, just, that visual. Yeah. Wow. And I know that um, it's probably really changed and progressed up there, but you know, it was like, it was, it was a lone frontier up there. And then we went back down to Alberta and then we moved to Vancouver Island when I was around 11. So then I, I grew up on the island in Victoria, Brentwood Bay, Sydney, kind of all around. And, um, and then I moved out on my own. Uh, once I was a teenager, I actually bolted back to Edmonton to just sort of try my way. And I was there because of a girlfriend. And um, Shar and I had a very cool little apartment that I let her and I, her pick out before I even got there. It was the dirtiest thing. <laughs> we didn't even have a sofa. We, we used a garden bench that I made in woodshop class. Wow. <laughs> Legit. With missing spindles. And, um, but we were so pumped to have this place and we ate Mr. Noodle every night. And when we were really living it up, we put a dollop of sour cream in the Mr. Noodle. Oh, wow. Straight up. Mm -hmm. I've never tried that, I Mm -hmm. can say. Yeah, it's next level. Okay. But needless to say, I've never had Mr. Noodle since. (laughs) You're like, I've grown out of it. I've done done But I think all this traveling was because your dad was also an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, exactly. He was the guy that was... He, the big ideas. That's right. He was an ideas man. And he actually, you know, to his credit, um, spent his life trying to bring things to fruition. So what I learned is um, that nothing is certain. Nothing is very stable. And security was this weird word that I had no idea what that meant. It just means like alarm systems for me. <laughs> security is not a thing. And so it was just normal. And I 
of course, had three other siblings, um, sorry, have, and they, you know, we all reacted differently. And I know that, you know, I know your story too. And we all react differently to uncertainty, yep. instability. And I guess I would say that I am the sibling or the, the kid of the four that kind of had that sort of same wild-eyed spirit that my dad had, which was, do not tell me what I have to do. Let me do what I want to do. So, but that is you. Yeah. And so I always knew. So, you know, I went through high school and I did not have, well, first of all, my family didn't come from post-secondary education. Right. At all. Not on my mom's side, not on my dad's side. And my siblings didn't make it through to the end of grade 12. They eventually did their GED to get their equivalency. And my older brother did manage to go off to broadcast journalism. I was really proud of him um, because, you know, we were otherwise just like, you know, get a job. It was, there was no promoting of post-secondary. And I, that was like, okay, fine. Because my dad always said, you know, education isn't in four walls. It's out in the world. My mom said the exact same thing. Yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Almost it, shamed to feel like you want it, education. That's right. And yeah. that was actually sort of what happened when, so then I went off. I finished grade 12 by the skin of my teeth. I was so not interested in 50% of the subjects. And so I failed those. And then the ones I was interested in, I did extremely well. And so, you know, <laughs> the school wasn't really built for Janine Morrison, but it was built for most of the others. And they were like clear on their path. And I was like, why do I feel so different from Esther Wicket? <laughs> why is Esther Wicket so different from me? By the way, I'm going to bring up Esther Wicket later off the podcast. That's the best she name. was always so impressive. Like she was just so scholarly. And, and, and there, there's always an Esther Wicket. <laughs> no, and this is no knock. And, and probably she's a doctor. Now I don't know. Somebody but, please look her up. <laughs> but um but I, I just felt so different. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing convention. Like convention just didn't feel right. And so, um, and so, and so, like I say, it's partly because of who I am and my personality, but my siblings, you know, we're all different and we all respond differently. So, but I can stop you right there and say, sure. there are so many people that are hearing this right now, feeling so comforted because so many people feel like the black sheep, yeah. feel like they don't belong, feel like yeah. they could compare themselves to other people that are just scholarly and doing it so easily. Yeah. And yet, even though, you know, outwardly you don't feel impressive, yeah. deep within you is a very impressive person. <laughs> it's just by the outer conventions that yeah. we compare ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, I think this is a really great beginning yeah. because it doesn't mean that just because you're not scholarly doesn't mean you don't have the chops no. to start your own business yeah. and do your own shit. Exactly. School's not my thing. Yeah. I can't work within normal convention. Yeah. But these are the things I love to do. Yeah. And these are the things I know inherently I'm good at. Well, when was your aha moment that you're like, okay, boom. Have you, had you met your, your now husband then? Like, when was your moment where you're like, actually, I could make a business doing this. That happened when I was working in restaurants and okay. doing all of that. Um, or after that, actually. So back, backing up. The last job I ever had was working at a canoe restaurant downtown Toronto. And um, it was the last last company that ever, you know, paid me. And um, and Darren surprised Johnny and I 
and came into the world. Um, your, your son? Yeah. Of 20 years? Yep. 20 years just last month. So he, um, with that, you know, it, it sent everything into like, okay, well, let's get that house we were talking about buying. Like we knew we were already lined up to do all of this, but it was accelerated. And um, so with that, we bought a house way out in the sticks, didn't like it, but it was like how we got into the market of housing in Toronto back then, 1999. <laughs> Remember it well. <laughs> and we bought this huge thing out in Scarberia, I call it. But anyways, never mind. And uh, it got us into the market. And so there I was so isolated. I was living in the land of cul-de-sacs. I did not like it. But I was also needing to figure out, okay, I can't commute downtown anymore for this job. And I have a big bump showing now. And, you know, they don't want their hostess with the Moses popping out of her blazer, right? So... <laughs> But I can say you are speaking to so many people and specifically women. Yeah. If we think about it, yeah. where you want to, as a human being, progress, be a mother, have a child, mm -hmm. you know, partner off with someone, figure out what it's like to have a house and yeah. own property and play house and nest. Yeah. And then find yourself, as you say, in a cul-de-sac, but mm -hmm. wildly unhappy. Mm -hmm. Like this story has somehow perpetuated itself so many times. Mm -hmm. And as an industrious woman, an inventive person, you found yourself in the circumstance that I would say a lot of women have, which yeah. is like, there is more for me. I can do more with this. Yep. So you're doing this inner work. You're birthing a business. You're birthing a baby. Mm -hmm. You're birthing this new self. What do you come up with? Well, I guess <clears throat> that would fast forward us to now. And, and so you thought of, there is a need here. And what's yeah, the need? Right. So going, so backing up to that moment, it was, I have a baby. Uh, I don't want to go back to, I, mean, I don't want to put him in daycare. I don't have a job that would warrant that anyways. And uh, what, what do I want to do? And so Johnny working in film was benefiting from end of seats, end of shooting, um, movies of the week or whatever. And so afterwards they were always liquidating all the props and all the stuff. And so it would be a set sale. And he'd say, come to the set sale. And like, they're just basically giving away all this stuff and it's tchotchkes and whatever, just tchotchkes. We've talked about this before. So many times. It's come up on your podcast too. Tchotchke, tchotchka. Yep, yeah. Jamie Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and so he um, <clears throat> said, come to the set sales. And so I would strap the strap Darren on and go to the set sale and, you know, just start picking and thinking, well, I can use that in the house because we, we didn't have a wedding registry. We didn't have anything. Like we didn't even get married, actually. We still aren't. And so we didn't have a lot. And so I've always furnished my own homes and apartments with just secondhand thrifting. But it reminded me of all the thrifting I'd done in my life. So I thrifted with my mom. She always did the same thing. Um, and, you know, we were always moving and setting up new houses and, and just sort of thrifting where we could in garage sales, yard sales. I loved it. I loved it. was akin to, you know, an archaeological dig. What is in there? It could be magic. You never know, you know? And so I, that felt, it was like falling off a log to be able to be a, a pick items that, you know, are worthy of being in a, in a home. And then came 
eBay and eBay entered the scene. And eBay was on the scene already at that time, but not for very long, actually, because this was late 90s. And I think eBay came out mid to late and uh, it hadn't really picked up yet or it was just starting to. And so Johnny said, do you think that you could resell some of this on eBay? And I said, oh yeah, why not? So I started looking at what other people were doing and I thought, why are their pictures so bad? Why wouldn't they put some effort into that? And they're not even writing full sentences for the product description. And I was just like, what the heck? What is wrong with these people? (laughs) So I went and found my first uh, pair of vintage lights um, at a restore, actually, a secondhand um, Habitat for Humanity store. And they were these beautiful Art Deco um, wall sconces. It was a pair. And I thought, you know what? And I spent a hundred bucks on them. And at the time, I never spent more than $2 on a thrifted item, right? But I thought oh yeah, there's no way I can't at least get my money back. And so that was the very first thing I put on eBay and I got 500 bucks for them. And I was like, oh yes. You're like, I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> yes. And I was like, chink, chink, okay, it's on. I can do this. <laughs> and bam, that's where our store was born and it was called Kitchy. Yeah. Didn't uh, know that. Th- why did I not know that? Kitchy. Uh, with a double E on the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the double E, friends. Okay. And I did put the T-S-C-H in there. I mean, it was proper. So Kitchy was born. And then I started buying all the tchotchkes, tchotchkas. I was thrifting. I was, we were going to, you know, auction houses in nowhere town, Ontario with- So know, much fun. Baby strapped in the front of me and nursing while holding up the paddle and, you know, mostly just bidding on the the dregs at the end that nobody wants that was lots in the boxes at the back. It's all the bitacles. Yeah. Best kind. Yeah. And so then we were like, oh, weird plastic um, donkey head from France. Okay. 50 cents. And then we got like $30 for it. And at the time it was like, holy cow. And people all over the world were bidding. So I really found my niche and I was excelling because the bidding was just frenzied and our, our profit margins were amazing. And But also I think there's two things at play here, which is your keen eye and ability to style things to make them look more desirable than something that was sitting in the box at the back of the auction house. Right. And then also this skill that you had honed inadvertently as a child. You know, it's, I love when you can dig something up from your childhood that you did. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden in your adulthood, you're like, oh my God, I've done so much of this. Like, in my case, it was gardening with my mother. Mm-hmm. And I know way more about flowers and plant and gardening than anyone would ever dream I would know. Yeah. And it's because of all those years doing all that work with my mom. Yeah. And I hear it in you with this thrifting business. You just did it as a casual weekend yeah. thing. Second nature. But when you know what to look for and you have trained your eye for colors, for shapes, for certain um, things that you know from history books or art books or lines or different gestures, you know, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, that's a this, that's a this. All of a sudden it becomes like Lotto 649, (laughs) right? Yeah, it felt like it at times. Our little eBay business had started taking off. Then we thought, let's do a .com because we don't want to give eBay their, their cut pound of flesh anymore. And, and we didn't like that it was such a, there wasn't much of a pos- option to build relationships with eBay customers. And we wanted to be a little more full service boutique style or whatever. So 
So the segue into fabric was, was a whole other story, but it just eventually morphed into textiles and we kind of for, forewent the way of vintage collectibles because those were finite, right? You know, they're just, they're not always available. And as our family grew, it was like, we need to find something that we can keep doing. And so that's when we thought we need to keep finding fabrics that are proven, vintage textiles had proven to be very popular. So we thought, let's keep looking for vintage looking textiles. And that's kind of how the early days for us started out, which was that it was like this call to retro. And at the time in, uh, that was 2004 when our dot-com was born. And, and it was like, this is what people want. And so we had one fabric <laughs> in the dining room. <laughs> and when people, someone ordered a yard and we rolled it off the bolt, cut it. No. It. Oh yeah. Then we had four fabrics. Someone ordered another yard. <laughs> no. Yes. It's almost embarrassing. Then we were, hand, I was hand cutting swatches with pinking shears at the dining room table, the dining room table, which I still use, uh, not for work. Well, ex- yeah. Anyway, sometimes not in that way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. But here's the thing is that you, you know how they always say invention is born of necessity. Yeah. That's what this is. Yes. A hundred percent. Because here we are, you have invented a business Mm -hmm. based off of necessity, which is both your necessity and the people's necessity, Yeah, which is you wanted to stay home. You want to be with your kids. Yeah. You want to work your art. You want to figure out a way to put your style and your keen eye to work in a way that was profitable, but mm-hmm. desirable to other people. Mm-hmm. So this is for anyone that's listening. I think this is a really key feature in business, which is there's room for everybody, but you have to really work your strengths and know who you are, know what you have to give. And that's the one thing about Janine I can safely say is since the moment I met her to this moment, you have done nothing but just continue to evolve and work your strengths and pay attention to others. Look at your customer, see what they want. Even if it didn't always fall in line with all of your own personal desires or interests, mm-hmm. you know what the people's want. Mm-hmm. And this is how businesses build. So you're cutting swatches, <laughs> but you know what's interesting? How many years ago was that? 2004? Yeah. So it was 16 years ago to the day, like three, four days ago. And to this day, you're still cutting swatches. (laughs) I'm back at it. (laughs) But think about it. Yeah. You have built a business that was so sustainable that this many years later, you know, obviously your collection of fabrics is how, how many fabrics do you sell now? I don't even know. Uh, Maybe close to 200. So what this business is, so it's tonic living. And so the byline was your style remedy. So tonic living to me, because I, as one of the things I do, I am an interior designer. And I came to find you because what I believe you have done best for designers, for everyday people, is you've curated a bunch of fabrics and homeware items, carpets, what have you, Mm -hmm. within a style message that is really written by your incredible keen eye and the voice of the peoples at the same time. And mm-hmm. you've curated something that is its own alchemy of those two things. So people can come and they get exactly what they want. They don't have to pour through thousands of things and be wildly confused because I have seen so many people of different style guides, of different design eyes with different types of designers. And you have something for everyone within a reasonable amount of fabric, within a reasonable space. And it makes it so easy and shoppable. 
We've tried. The other thing I was really aware of at the time too was that Canada was so deficient in- Behind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, if it, certainly online. Um, you were ordering from America, which, hey, they have a bigger population. They are ahead of us in that regard. And so they just had more options. But the duties and the exchange rate, like it was just so painful to be a Canadian shopper and to order from the States. And I was burned a few times on like, you know, a $10 item and paid $75 to clear it with UBS brokerage, all that stuff. And so I was like, I want to bring this to Canada, but I definitely don't want to lose my American customers because they all were, our eBay customers were 95% American because they were really on the eBay game at that time. And so we thought we don't want to alienate them. So we just became a dot-com. We offered the the option to shop in either currency and actually process in either currency. We were really committed to keeping both camps and just sort of, I think of, I, I don't like to think in divisions. I just want to say we ship worldwide and that's what we do because it's not so much, this isn't a plug about our services as much as that's who I am. I don't like to be exclusive. I don't, I want to be inclusive as much as possible. So you're selling worldwide mm -hmm. fabrics and ready-made pillows? Yeah. Is that all you were selling, right? Well, n then or now? Then. Oh, yeah. Even then it was just fabric. Just fabric. Just fabric. So we've got just fabric going out worldwide to the peoples. When do you decide to get a storefront? When are you thinking, you know what? I got to take it to the streets. Yeah. Well, it was a combination of things. So now I have two toddlers or a toddler and an older one. And, you know, and so I want to get out of the house personally. Also, word starting to get out in the city, which is, hey, I had editors calling. I had designers saying, I really want to get this, but can I just come pick it up? And meanwhile, I'm like, oh, no, because Liam is napping and I just, you know, I don't I did want, not clean my living room this week. Right. There I are toys everywhere. I might be in my robe. Who really knows, you know? And so I thought, no, I, I need to create a space. Plus, we were starting to bust at the seams. And so first we got this little you know, we had a couple of little, not misfires, but they were stepping stones before we went to this storefront um, that is now our sort of headquarters flagship. And that was seven years ago. So seven years ago, from I think even to now, this is the most exciting part about this business chat that I really hope everyone's buckling up for. Because the thing about business, and this this is the thing I've always known, is my... Um, my mom always speaks of the one thing my father's always said, which is the surefire way to fail in this life is to try to please everybody. And that's a really important thing to know in business is that although it's incredible to hit a rhythm and make the people's happy and know what the people's need and know how to serve it to them in the way that they're going to like it, in the end, when you've been in business as long as you have, you've seen the things that you have, at some point, you have to start making yourself happy. So you've now, I'm just going to start fast forwarding because what I know Tonic Living, your store, your business to be in its final incarnation before your current changes is a gigantic space. I don't know how many square feet you have. Thousands. 10,000 10, square feet. <laughs> 10,000 square feet, hundreds of fabrics, homeware store, furniture, beautiful artifacts, found vintage items, carpeting, lamps, 
um, really beautiful little imported goods from Portugal. We've got some textiles and towels. We also have like bathwares. What's that company? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Soaps and candles and all the things. It is a full sensory experience. Paint and wallpaper available. It's a thing. Yeah. Designers can walk in. Everyday people can walk in yeah. and feel like they've arrived at design mecca. Inclusive. Inclusive of all the peoples. Yeah. So you built you built the machine. Mm-hmm. How many people did you have working for you? It was pushing 30. So 30 employees, 10,000 square feet. And I, I think I have to ask right now, because this is where I get to the emotions of it, mm-hmm. which is, could you even imagine that you did this thing? Like when you were in your living room as a new mom, believing that all these years later, you would have built this like incredible business. I just hope you feel proud. Thank you. Only in moments when you make me. (laughs) I make you. (laughs) But I, it's just so totally part of who I am now. And that's been my work actually is to figure out who the hell am I without the business? Like, you know, you, it just, you just become so intertwined and anyone in business knows this, it consumes you, um, good or bad. And, uh, I am, I am proud. Thank you for highlighting it, but I don't think of it. I don't, I don't have a proud feeling. It's just like, okay, what next? Got to do this. And there's, there's beautiful moments within it. There's a lot of hard work right now. That it's a, it's a pretty grindy time because of so much change. But before and, this happened, you were yeah. able to step away. Yeah. So that was the big miracle. You were and, able to like yeah. give your business to miracle. hands of others yeah. to run without you. And, yeah. you know, before talking about current times, yeah. I just have to highlight the fact that um, as a person that has her own different type of business, it's only ever the dream that a business can run without you. Yeah. And that you've created something that others can partake in without you actually having to be the final word. Yeah. And that its message, its success, it, its style can remain. And you, you really have created something that is so signature tonic living. You look at it, you know it, it's yours. Yeah. And people were able to understand it, adapt it, and continue it without you. Yes. And I, and I just have to make sure that I highlight that too. Like. It's incredible. Yeah. Like I, I'm always talking about me and I and Johnny and I, and, you know, but I have, I mean, this, this has not been a solo effort and there's been so many people that have, you know, brought me to this, brought the company to this place. And so the fact that I was able to walk away six months ago for my hiatus, um, where I became a lady of lunching leisure, in Portugal. <laughs> um, but what I just want to say is really important to any business person out there is that um, I just want you to tap into all the emotions that we're sharing here, which is, you know, the first emotion is that it's really hard when you're passionate about what you're doing to take yourself away from who am I and what is this business? Mm-hmm. Because that emotion is so when you love what you do and you're doing it with pure passion, it's so hard to delineate the two. Oh, yeah. Tear There's, them apart, yeah. right? Velcro. It's not even so, worse than Velcro. I can't even <laughs> offer, I don't even know if you can offer any hot tips for anyone out there to try to figure out how to tear the two apart. The small practical tips are to really work on, you know, just carving out small boundaries, even if they're micro boundaries. Like Great. I won't check my email until the coffee is in front of me. Not once my eyes have opened the pillow and at, on the pillow, you know, like. Great advice. Just like small micro boundaries because in self-employment, 
you can also end up beating yourself up and self-flagellating more than you probably should because you're not disciplined enough to keep it separate. And in a way it's like, you cannot expect Niagara Falls to not make a loud, wet, crashing sound. It's Niagara Falls. (laughs) Truth, (laughs) sister. And so if you're an entrepreneur, like this is something I've had to work through is not beating myself up for, you know, you know, you think, oh, I should do, I should do better. And again, you know, there's the social media influences out there that are influences, not errs, you know, like there's that sort of that messaging, which is, you know, you know, delineate self-care and all those things. And, you know, if you're not self-caring enough, then you're doing something really wrong. And, and so judging yourself for not being able to do it perfectly is probably something you should get rid of if you plan to be self-employed. You got to have a lot of self-love and compassion for, for the fact that it's a messy process and there's no manual. There's no manual. You can go and get trained in business school and you can get your degrees and your MBAs. And those are valuable facets and people to invite into your team, but you don't need it necessarily. Right. You don't need it necessarily. Um, It doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. I mean, if Johnny and I had gone into this with a little more training, you know, we may have learned a few things sooner, earlier on, prevented some things that we found ourselves, you know, later having to, to deal with. But ultimately, my greatest training was working out in the world, retail and restaurant service, and really, you know, understanding what people want and loving that feeling of being served with, with grace and kindness. I think it's interesting too, because for anyone that's still following along with us, this is truly back to your humble beginnings, which is, you know, your father saying, you don't need school. Mm -hmm. You can do this on your own. And you did. Yeah. And you've paid attention to people. That's one thing you are, is you are an incredible people person. You tap into people, you read people, you understand people. And I think you always put, the thing I love about you, every time I purchase anything from Tonic Living is I look at every detail because I'm a psycho <laughs> and every everything. Thank you for your patronage. Thank you for this. Here's a discount code on here. Here's a this, the paper that you use, the way that you tie the bags with the, with the swath of extra fabric, like every little detail is considered because you want to receive something that looks just like this. Yeah. And, and my team has been able to deliver that. Absolutely. Like they saw my vision. They were able to recognize how the devil is in the details. And it's not that it was so um, hoity-toity details either. I mean, they're pretty, we're pretty down home in a lot of ways, but it's just, I like to make people comfortable. And I think that's where my team um, was really receptive to that, that sort of mission of like making people feel comfortable. You sell accessible luxury. Yeah. You sell something that every man can afford, wants, but still feels like it's special. Mm-hmm. I want to take you to a place where I was this past summer, which I hadn't been to your Teutonic living in months. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I walked in, I didn't know where I was. The place had doubled in size and it had literally, there were people in there I didn't even know. And I didn't think that was possible for me because <laughs> I talked to everyone in yeah. their shoes. Yeah, And I, you had grown exponentially. Your online business is booming. You had to grow your staff exponentially. Um, Tonic Living really took a whole new turn. Yeah, it did. I felt. Yeah, I I, felt it too. (laughs) I just felt like 
literally in a matter of six months to maybe eight months, yeah. I walked in there and you just turned up the volume. Yeah. And the volume was unbelievable. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So the part of this podcast that I find really profound is that you created this 10,000 square foot beautiful monster. Mm-hmm. And last week on Friday, you sent out a newsletter mm-hmm. to all the peoples that know everything and anything tonic living. What did you say? <laughs> that we are no longer opening our retail showroom again. It's permanently closed and that we're no longer offering custom sewing services at all on, on any level. We are only manufacturing for our stock products that we're selling online and we're still selling all that goodness as well as the fabric by the yard. And we had to take it back. We had to prune that branch. And that branch was a beautiful branch, but it was threatening to rock the entire tree and split it down the middle to the point of no return with this calamity, this pandemic. And I don't want to talk about COVID either, but it it is the reason. It was the catalyst. It was the reason that we were, you know, we had to react. We had to shift and react. You know, it was strong. It was beautiful, but it was a hungry beast. But on top of the hungry beast, I feel like every single time you put something you kind of, and I don't want to say you cage a hungry beast, mm-hmm. but I want to say you kind of give it a timeout and you, and you give it a chance to yeah. just calm down <laughs> and you get to really look at all the different parts of the beast. Yeah. You realize there may be parts of it you don't want anymore. Yeah. And that's the one thing I love about you. And I love about what you've chosen to do. And I love about your next evolution in this business. Mm-hmm. And I want anyone who's anybody in business, not in business to listen up (laughs) because you are not your business, big or small. And anything that you're doing in your business is not a direct reflection of who you are, your success, or what you're doing in this world. Every effort is appreciated Mm -hmm. and anything you're doing is enough. And I truly mean that for you. Because you took a look at this beautiful beast that you created and you said, this isn't what I really wanted. Mm -hmm. This part I love. This part is still me. Mm -hmm. This part has nothing to do with my joy. This part has to go. And this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And I love that. Because although this pandemic attitude has taken over so much of our lives, Mm -hmm. I think it's also given us an opportunity to really dig deep in ourselves and ask us how we want this next phase of our lives to look and how we want to function within it. Yeah. So that if this is ever to happen again, we got this. We got this. That's, that's exactly it. You know, I was, it's not to say that before the pandemic, I was like, Oh, I just don't think we should keep doing this anymore necessarily. I mean, there were some criticisms or, or critical parts of, you know, there were some areas, especially within the custom sewing part of our business, I'm just going to say it, that were really, really challenging to to do extremely well. And we wanted to do it extremely well. And we did most of the time. But with the volume, um, we weren't built for such volume. The interest and the demand was so high. So we soon recognized we need a bigger system. We need an ERP system, which is very boring to talk about, so I won't. But some people out there will know 
what an ERP is. And it's basically the engine that allows a bigger company to, or a company to scale and work smoothly. And we didn't have an ERP in place. We're putting it in place now, but it's, it just wasn't in place soon enough. It was, we're too busy every day, buttering the bread, you know, filling the orders, putting the meat and potatoes and veg in front of the patron who's like, I'm hungry. I would like this now, please. Give me my sandwich. That's right. Give me my sanger. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so you, you serve, you, you get it to them. But then all those other things, it's really difficult to triage. Of course. Um, and so you're like, well, customer in front of me, help the customer in front of me. And so, you know, that's where if we could do it over again, well, we kind of are you put an ERP in place once you hit a certain size of company. And for those of you listening, you don't know what that is, look it up. You might think, oh, that does not apply to my little business. Just keep it in mind. Know that if you plan to scale, you will need one or you will have to make some difficult decisions that you don't want to make necessarily. So that's kind of part of the perfect storm for us. And, it, and I did say to Johnny, this is uncomfortable, but this is a gift. Because no one would tolerate our decision, not very well. Even now, people are struggling with our decision. They don't understand it. But before, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of tolerance. And now people have been pretty gracious to say, you know, we trust your decision. It's not been an easy time for anyone. And so I really appreciate that. I've had so much kind feedback um, and a lot of candid feedback too, but I don't expect people to, I don't expect all our customers to understand business and what it takes and what, what the decisions are behind the scenes. But I want to be, I want to make everyone happy, but sometimes, you know, you just, you can't, it's business. You try. And I have aged myself trying. But I think in the end, you have made the world a more beautiful place. No. You have, <laughs> you have. And not just the outer world, but everyone's private inner worlds. Mm. And that is a gift. You have given so many people a gift because doing what I do, I take great joy in helping people build a more beautiful inner life. Yeah. If those small, soft goods and those small little things, they really do make a difference. Yeah. And, they, and they do, people like us, we love that stuff. It's our food. It's attainable too. And- I just can't do anything else. Like I can't, I, I'm just, I'm such a, you know, humble pie beginnings kind of girl that I just, I, I don't want to alienate anyone. I just want people to understand too, that also the smallest tweaks can bring so much more peace in your environment. Sometimes it's not about adding anything. It's about taking away. It's about changing that light bulb. That thing's dreadful. Like move, you know, move that that's in a really bad place, feng shui, whatever you want to call it. But it's about really under, understanding the way things make you feel around you, whether you've bought something new or not. And that's a, that's like at the core of what I believe. I don't really feel comfortable being a mass consumer promoter. Like I don't want people to fill landfill. That's why Part of our goal too was to always make everything in-house. We didn't want to mass produce. We didn't want to equally promote um, disposable goods. We want people to buy well, buy once or maybe every year or whatever, you know, but, yeah. but like kind of like clothing, like don't just keep buying disposable or buy, see if you can get it thrifted or whatever, like easy on the planet. And that may sound counterintuitive as a business person who definitely you know, lives or dies by sales, but 
I just feel like there's enough, there's enough out there that. There's conscious presence of it though. Yeah. I mean, you're aware of it. Mm -hmm. You're not unaware. You're not, not addressing it. Yeah. And the thing that I think is such a powerful message about what you're doing is effectively in a roundabout way, you're kind of going back to where you started. Yeah. And uh, looking at it all over again. Yes, very much. And I invite anybody listening to this podcast to follow you. And whatever it is that they're doing Mm. to look at everything that you've built. And if you feel the need, start again, go back to the beginning. Yes. And I love you so much for that because you're teaching so many people, not only in this industry, but the people around you, not only your courage, but your ability to know what's important, not just for your business, but for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I love you for that. Yeah. So how does it feel now? I know you're overwhelmed, but are you excited about where what's to come? I am, like I really am. There's been some really um, painful parts of the transition, of course, and that's uh, primarily on the human people's level with the teammates that can no longer fit into this jigsaw anymore. And, you know, that's, that's hard, that's hard, um, but very excited about the future because I feel like I don't want to work. I want to work smarter, you know, and I don't want to work. I'm I'm always working hard. That's a given, but I want for not just myself, but the the whole team that we are, that we do have right now that remains um, to work smarter and not harder because I want them to feel like whole people at the end of the day or the end of the week. And I don't want, you know, right now it's pretty intense um, as we're trying to figure things out and we can't have all the people that we need. We actually need more people than we have based on sales, which is amazing, but we can't because of the distancing measures. And so we have to be responsible within that. And so it's been really, really challenging. Um, but it shows you what you're capable of. Yeah. And 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 there's this really weird, um, not weird, but like, I was saying to to someone on my team actually not that long ago, and we, you know, she's a little closer to my age than some than a lot of them, and um, and she said we both were saying, don't we wish you could just do your twenties again now, knowing <laughs> what you know, and like just skip all that bullshit that you engaged in, or you know the time you wasted or whatever, and we're like, yeah. And don't you just wish, and and I I feel that so deeply, like I wish I could just do my 20s again, but like with kind of who I am now. Um, And that's sort of a private personal side feeling, but I think a lot of people feel Not alone in that feeling. Yeah, I don't think so. But this is like a weird gift of like almost getting that, Mm. starting our business again, but knowing what we now know. And so we have the wisdom, we have the do not start off doing this. You can skip that. It's like we have had this weird reset. I love this. Yeah, it's and that's where I feel like it's a gift. And it, d- despite the fact that it has some darker, you know, tougher moments, and not everyone's going to understand it. Um, it's it feels like for me, we don't. I feel like I'm back at the beginning, and I have been cutting, literally cutting swatches again. This time with a very fancy machine. Um, <laughs> but um, but I. Uh, I'm, it's like, this is familiar. 
this is familiar, but it's not the same. It's same, but different. It's, it's knowing that this is temporary, knowing what I've got to do the whole time I'm cutting swatches, I'm calculating a plan in my head and I'm strategizing and, you know, and doing all the 10 million things, plates are spinning in the air, but, um, it feels much different. It's, there isn't that blindness that we had when we first started 20 years ago. Like we had no idea what was in front of us, zero. But nobody does. No, exactly. And and that's it's just as well, or we may not have done it. I was. It's just like <laughs> childbirth, you know? If yep. you know what you're going to go through, no woman's going to sign up for that no. shit. No, they are not. They're not going to say that sounds like a great idea. No, they are not. And I can often, <laughs> I haven't had a baby. Mm. I'm just telling you what I heard. <laughs> but From me. <laughs> but I- That shit's hard. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so is freaking business, man. Yeah. And you know what? I, I it's often delivering a baby it's deli- all the time. <laughs> and you just have to keep reminding yourself that there's something really good coming out of it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Out of the pain, there is something really good. And, um, one of the things I, I used to make a joke to my accountant and when my business wasn't really making any changes for a very long time, I used to make jokes and say, listen, if my business doesn't turn any kind of needles next year, I'm going to dye my hair black, move to the South of France and work at a grocery store <laughs> and learn the language because like this ain't going nowhere. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I'm still picturing it. Can't you see me with black hair? Yeah. Bagging no. groceries? No. Bonjour. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Um, oh, Coco, we're going to come back to you, by the way. <laughs> I know you're over there. Coco thinks it's story time. No, he pulled I, out the cookies and milk. <laughs> no, I like, I'm, I'm sitting back just being a spectator. This is so cool. It's like, it's a great talk. Oh, that's good. Um, this is a love jam, Janine. <laughs> you love what you do. I do. And I have to bring this up right now because this is a love jam. Mm-hmm. And I... I always say this all the time, no matter what it is and no matter how it's applied, that love prevails. Yeah. And that no matter what happens in this life and the crap that we go through and the trenches we're walking through and the things that have burned us, that when you truly love something, someone, anything, the love will prevail. Yep. And you will dig back into whatever that love feeling is and it will resurrect or it will resurrect you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about the story is that you got back to the thing you love the most. Yeah. And I also just want to say too, that I think it's really important people understand just similar to the word or statement being happy. It doesn't mean that there aren't moments of agony. Of course. You know, I think it's a, it's a fallacy to believe like, you know, would you say you're a happy person? Um, (laughs) Today, today I'm like terrible. (laughs) But tonight I might have like the happiest 10 minutes unexpectedly. But does that make me an unhappy person or a happy person? It's just forget the label. So the same way um, the love, as you put it to me, like I don't usually find myself saying, I love what I do. Mind you, I do have a framed print in my house that I bought 20 years ago, which is do what you love and love what you do. Yeah. And, um, but it it has a lot of ugly parts and it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, relationships can be, they're not all perfect, but you love that person or that dynamic and, and business is the same thing. And, and really it's like, it is, I know it's a fit because it propels me out of bed. Even when I'm dog tired, it, it's like a, you know, some might call it an unhealthy compulsion, but it is, it, it's a love, it is a fire and it is a fire that I cannot extinguish. 
Reinvention is my favorite thing. And you embody it. It's my sign. I'm a Scorpio. This is what we live for. Reinvention. I often think about, um, you know, wabi-sabi mm-hmm. and people talk about mm-hmm. that and you're focusing on the negative things and finding the beauty in that. Yeah. Beauty in the imperfection. Which is what you're doing effectively as a picker. Yeah. You're looking at the patina. You're looking at that aged something. You're looking yeah. at that weather-worn section, whatever it is, and mm-hmm. you're almost creating that thing that's been through it or has been washed too many times or has seen the sun for too many hours and you're celebrating that. Celebrating character, you know. But this is what this is. Yeah. This is sabi. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is so beautifully imperfect and imperfectly beautiful. What What, what is wabi-sabi? Sorry. Look it up, Coco. Look it up. Do you know what? While you're while we're while we're talking, you can just Go. look it up and tell the peoples. Okay, you are surrounded no, you, by keyboards and things to click. Come on, just keep going. <laughs> Coco, it, get your phone out. It really is um, something to, something to the effect of of beauty and imperfection. Um, it's a Japanese. It's thing. Japanese and thing. W a b i s a b i. Is everybody googling it? Coco, can you wabi-sabi, hear the Wabi-sabi, the traditional, oh, in traditional Japanese aesthetics, wabi-sabi is a worldview centered on the acceptance of transience and imperfection. Yes, and transience is very important. The aesthetic is sometimes described as one of beauty that is imperfect, impertinent, and incomplete. You're Amen. welcome. Amen. Yeah, thanks for that. But that's perfect. Yeah, that's, that's. It's so yeah. true. But that's what this is. And that's why, like, you know, that was the other thing, too. Just, I mean, we are talking about the business a lot, aren't we? But that was supposed to be this episode, right? This this episode. <laughs> I, was... I don't think we ever got back to Emily Wicket or whatever. <laughs> Esther. <laughs> Esther Wicket. Esther Wicket. <laughs> Esther, we love you. <laughs> Esther, in the house. Did you look up Esther Wicket while you're there? Yeah, that shit like... hard. <laughs> okay. No, no, I think we're good. <laughs> I, now I want to find her. I want to know okay. what's up with Esther. Anyway, um, when we were building, as we've been building, there was no, we were like, we found a space. Okay. It's big. It was 3,000 square feet. And then, you know, we got, blew a couple more walls down. And it turned into 10,000. And that was been over the seven year span. But um, it was like, do we have a cash desk? No, we do not. Do we have uh, anywhere to display the merch? No, we do not. But I'm going to use this palette and I'm going to cover it and I'm going to just, you know, just improvising the crap out of everything. And anybody who walked in would know. But I I think it, there I took a bit of pride in the fact that it was like, you know what? Yeah, that's, to use the word of Tiffany Pratt, that's a bit janky. <laughs> but it shows that maybe that's okay. And... It's also a reflection too on ourselves. Like, does everything have to be so perfect, right? Certainly I know I'm not. And I know that, you know, our bodies become less and less perfect with time and our spaces become less and less perfect. Um, not, Not to say that I don't hold quality as a really, really high value. I do. And, um, but certainly if you're making it and you're, you know, of course. selling it to the world. But 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 something about that found like, oh, look at this. I just found a George Nelson bubble light three feet in diameter. And, but there's like a scuff on the one part and it's like, yeah, but you know what? This is a gem and you don't find these very often. And, um, you know, I, I want you to go back to that though, is that I think when you have a storefront 
or you have a, a retail s- space, yeah. you can do a juxtaposition between something that's brand new, like your fabrics and a perfect pillow made yeah. to perfection to be sold. And you could be styling it with things like pallets and things that are all undone and things yeah. that are not perfect. Yeah. I like sh- that contrast. Me too. Yeah. I love it myself because it, it it's accessible yeah. and you can live in it. Well, and it shows the people that you don't have to have this like so figured out, like just start. That's the message right there is that you don't have to. And and that message prevails beyond business, beyond building a home, beyond building a a, family in every way. Yeah, it's true. Is that no one has it all figured out. No, There is no plan. No one has a budget to start from zero to build a business perfection. Mm-hmm. to make it all look like gorgeous, gorgeous. Well, I mean, some do. But they but... haven't gotten the business part of things organized because they've never done it before. Right, yeah. I mean, nothing is ever perfect is the punchline. No, exactly. And if we had put all our effort into proper business plans, all the things, we we might have turned out into a very different company, which may have been successful too, but it just wouldn't have been a true expression of of my work. And all I knew is that I had to just keep going with with what my... Guts were telling me. Not only your guts, but you had people loving everything you did. Right. Which feeds my guts, you know, like always the, my instincts are fed by the feedback that I'm picking up on, whether it's spoken or, or expressed or whatever. I have long antennae for. You have a very desirable style. Oh, thanks. You do. You thanks. have a very desirable style. You have a very good, great eye and you know how to curate. And that is an impeccable skill that not a lot of people have. Curation of goods, no matter where they come from, putting them in a place, room, vignette to show how things from different places could all work together as a visual family is incredible. And you have it. Thank you. And that's why you're good at what you do. (laughs) You're making me squirm in my seat. Coco, (laughs) anything you want to talk about to Janine before we wrap this up? We could talk for days, but I know. But is there anything? Because you know, you've been quiet over there. Well, um, do we cover it? I, you guys both kept coming back to this thing of um, maybe if we'd gotten some classes or some courses and more education, we wouldn't have made some of these mistakes in business. But I, you know, I was just thinking in life or in business, all those things that you didn't do that you thought maybe would have been helpful um, are actually what made you who you are. And a lot of those things that you had to learn on the fly and on your own, whether it's in life or in business, made you who you are. Would you really go back and change any of that? No. And that's, that's a very wise question. And that's the thing, which is why I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it myself. I don't have these deep regrets of, I wish that I had gotten my degree and followed through. I have had moments where I feel a little apologetic for just bailing. You know, I bailed. I like to finish what I start, but I've also learned there is no sense in forcing misery on yourself. I bailed on school too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was so like, did I. Yeah, did All you? three of us bailed. Failers. <laughs> Failers united. Well, and we actually- don't mean, hey... But actually, I have a lot of friends who are well-educated and have made fine people out of yeah, themselves, you know. Yeah, there's not right or wrong. But just, I also do find a real kinship with with the ones who also scrappy dude their way to, mm-hmm. to today. 
And, um, but I like that. I like the balance of it all. I like to have that person in my life who's like, no, no, I'm in HR and I, you know, like they're very sorted um, because it just, it rounds the picture and it's, it's really important to, to have a foil, you know, for totally, you know, and I, so I, I like, call that attention. I need a little tension. I need someone tension, to, yes. to throw a little tension Contrast, on the mix. Yeah. yeah totally. I'm like, somebody give me a little tension on this. And you know, oftentimes Coco ends up being a lot of my tension. Yeah. You do. You say things and you come at things really different than me. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And I, I do, I feel like I find myself calling you quite a bit. There's a lot of people that, um, I think that's the best way to live is to surround yourself with people that love you, but mm -hmm. aren't like you. Yeah, it's true because, well, it's reassuring that, you know, you're not the same, but you're still loved. Janine, I love you so much. I, I have, love you. I Tiffany. have, I do. I have, um, adored you from day numero uno. <laughs> and I have admired your work and I have been a patron and I have been a supporter and I have been an onlooker and I have been in awe Aww. always. Thank you. And I feel a true value having you in my life and even more humbled that I can call you my friend. Aww. Well, you just took the words out of my mouth. So thank you for taking your beautiful, precious, valuable time and hanging out with me and Coco. Oh, and it was sharing. a prezi. It was a present for sure. I'm ha And honestly, sharing is so helpful. You're going to help a lot of people. So thank oh, you. That's good. I, I hope mean so. it. You will. It's really, really beautiful. So I love you. I love you. Thanks for jamming with us. And next time, they're going to tell you about their tandem naked rubdowns in Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> but until then. Oh, until Lord. Then. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I really want you to find Janine. So, on the internet, you're going to type in www.tonicliving.ca. And we all know Instagram is where it's at. So, go to at tonicliving and you're going to see all the goods. From there, you can stumble down, find her personally, find her home in Tavira, but this is the main event. Thanks for tuning in. I wouldn't be here without you supporting, commenting, and subscribing. So thank you so much. Delta Fossa Canada, again, here we are, season three. What a ride. We would not be making this magic happen without you. And of course, the sounds, the music in the mix. Coco, you are the man. We are always together. And if it's not here on the podcast, you can check me out on my website, tiffanypratt.com, or you can check out my Instagram at the Tiffany Pratt. But either way, friends, I'll see you on the flip side. I know we're going to be together again, and I'm sending you my deepest gratitude and all the glittering rainbow love. I love you. Okay, bye.